Okay, so we finished chapter five last week. Remember? Remember that celebration? Um, so um, I'm not going to spend a lot, a lot of time reviewing because we did a very good review at the end of class, but I will kind of review and continue on because, and then transition into chapter six because it is obviously um, a direct continuation of what we've been discussing. So one of the questions that arose from our discussions in chapter five, remember we're discussing our connection, how we're connected, through what, through what are we connected, what disconnects us, right? Sin disconnects us. What are the different variations of disconnection depending on what type of sin? And then we landed on the sins that cause kares, which is that immediate separation between the ages of 50 and 60. And so, and we are pretty well-versed in that area. But one of the questions that, that, that we keep discussing is how does a person who transgresses a sin punishable by kares how do they continue to live, right? So at the end of last chapter, we kind of reconcile that dilemma by explaining that the, when the vitality of the soul ceases to come from the divine, right? There's still remnants, there's that imprint that is granting vitality to the body. So we, we explained it in a few in a few ways, right? We have the the like the the remnants of the um, energy, and then we have remember we talked about like the imprint, like if you draw something on a paper, and then like the imprint kind of leaves over your. It's not the actual thing, but it's like the imprint that also gives the soul the energy. Now that only fuels the rest of the person's life until the maximum age of 50 and 60, right? So let's say a person transgresses a sin punishable by kares at age 40, right? How does he not die right away, right? It's because even though he's cut off directly from the divine soul that there's leftover energy that keeps him going, but it runs out right? And that surrounding energy, yes! Um, 10 points for you! Um, that surrounding energy that keeps it going till the age is 50 or 60, okay? But there is, but that question, we have even like a broader question, right? And it's more complex because um, we see nowadays that people who commit sins that are punishable by kares, okay? And it's not, remember, it's not our job to walk around judging people for their sins. We don't really know um, what's going on in a person's individual life, but we can be rest assured because there's a lot of, like, of the world these days that there's a lot of people who are doing things that are punishable by kares, and yet they, they live like, long happy lives beyond the ages of 50 and 60 right um and 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 even in a broader sense it's like applies to the world at large like how is the world subsisting on what is it surviving on like what is the world actually surviving on? okay you have a question carrie no you're good 
Okay. So, um, according to like our, our eyes, like our natural, like observation, um, reality doesn't really work this way. Right. We like the world is not receiving all its energy only from holiness. Right. Look at, look at the world. Look at the world. Okay. Like the world is not only receiving its energy only from holiness, right? Like that, that's what it looks like to our naked eye. So this question regarding the existence of this world in this day and age and the source of its life force, as well as the individual dynamic is what we're going to focus on in this chapter. So what we're going to understand is how is the world existing? What is it existing on? Like, how is it still continue to, to turn? And it can't be that it's receiving all its energy from holiness. And same too on the individual level. Like, how are we at this point knowingly, knowing, not knowingly, but knowing that there are definitely many people who are um, transgressing these these um sins that are punishable by cars and just continue to live way past 50 and 60 long happy lives right like how is that happening right like and this is what i love about tanya so much because i think like we could the, the alternative could just say like this is how it works and just trust me right trust me this is how it works and there are things in the torah that we have to do that about but the alternative always tries to explain as much as is possible for us to understand how it works. Because the more we can understand how it works and not just take your word for it, just have faith, right? Um, the better we can connect and the better like we can absorb the information and it makes sense to us. And the more something makes sense to us, the easier it is for us to buy in, right? I actually just read something or heard something somewhere and I forget where it was, but this idea of blind faith, right? Blind faith doesn't get you very far, right? Just blind faith. I'm just going to believe with nothing, no knowledge, right? That only gets you to a certain point. What's real faith, what's real foundational is understanding to a point to our capacity of understanding and then using faith to fill in the blanks, okay? We don't want to have a relationship with God that's only based on faith. That is not sustainable, Right. If you have nothing, no foundation, nothing to grasp, no tangible things to grasp on, then that relationship cannot exist solely on faith. So I just find it so fascinating because like here we are um, on like really like we're we are learning now like secrets of the Torah, like the inner workings, like most people that walk around will not know this. Right, because they don't come to a class on the Garasachuva, right? Like gotta get them to come. But this is this is the beautiful thing. Like if you take the time, I was just talking to my mother this afternoon, and she's also teaching a Garasachuva, and she was saying how like, you know, people come and go, and it's it's a, it's much more intense. It's not like um, feel good feel good learning where you just like get your inspiration for the day and right like a Garasachuva is like the meat but it's like hard. Like you really have to invest. And you really have to want to be there to, to actually benefit from it, right? And it's not, and not everybody is on that space in their life. 
And so we were talking about how, like, it's not like even the first book of Tanya is like way more digestible, way like easier to just like find something inspirational and run with it, right? Which is so beautiful. The first book of Tanya is like always going to have that special place in my heart because it gives us that wonderful foundation. But when you go to the next level and you go to Agaris Hachuva and it's like, all of a sudden we're like, okay, this is first of all hard. It's uncomfortable. Like we're talking about all this stuff that's not like necessarily feel good, right? Like it's really much, much, much deeper and much, but but then I feel like when you stick it through, the reward is 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 very big. Like you really get to almost get a glimpse of the secret underworld that if you don't actually um consciously do right doesn't this this kind of information is not going to happen by by mistake right like you have to really want to get to it. and I think that you know for me that's like very motivating and very cool because it's like you know you have like a, another layer of information about how the world works that most people don't have and I think it really in the end might not seem practical but in the end like I always say about Tanya like even if you think like it's not affecting your day-to-day life, like once you know something, you can't unknow it, right? So once, like, so let's say the beginning of Tanya, like you learned that you had two souls and they're fighting for each other, right? Once you know that, you can't unknow it. And now, whether you like it or not, that has an effect on how you think subconsciously, right? So that's kind of what we're doing today. So that, excuse the digression, but I just, I just find it so like, oh my gosh, this is very cool. So now, um, so the the fact that severe transgressions sever a person's lifeline causing actual death only applies to certain eras of time okay so what when would this apply like when did it actually happen that when somebody transgressed a major sin that their life vitality was cut off like when did that happen And this occurs when a Jew receives his vitality entirely from holiness, from the internal aspects of the divine will, right? So the the sole source of his life and sustenance is coming from what? We know this, guys, because we've talked a lot about it. Havaya, right? The inner will of God. When our whole body and soul is receiving its life force, only from Havaya, only from God, if you transgress one of these major sins that like cut you off, you're dead. Because why? You have no backup generator. There's no backup life force. So when, if you, if somebody transgresses in that time, then there's, there's nothing holding it together. Why is there no back? Why is there no back? Because that life force is only coming from the innermost will of God. There's no like second energy source, which is like our animal soul, right? There's no like, there's no second secondary energy source. And let me see if I answer your question in a minute and then we'll, and then ask me if you don't. But um, this happened at the time of the temple. Okay. At the time of the base of Mikdash, the entire time that the temple was standing, the divine presence in the physical world was manifested 
temple. So the temple was the meeting point where all holiness was channeled from God and the rest of humanity received its life force from there. So there, I know, right? Crazy. So the time of the temple, I, I do you see the little, can you see the emoji? <laughs> I love it. Um, the time of the temple, everything was, God was revealed. Okay. He was much more tangible. Like we were able, like the temple was this, was the physical manifestation of God in this world. Give me one second. Now. Forget. It's very, I, I want you to think about the, oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Decline, decline, decline. I get FaceTime on my phone, but it's coming up on my computer. Um, what was I going to say now? Oh, um, it's if you if on the flip side, if you're getting all your energy energy source from holiness, it's going to be much more rare to actually sin on that level, right? So, like, it's a little bit right. If you're only getting energy source from the direct will of God, like, it's very uncommon that somebody would actually sin on that level. It did happen, but it said like if a base sin. If the Jewish court had to put a person to death one time in 70 years, it was considered a bloody court. So just imagine, it means that people really weren't transgressing on that level until like, I guess it accumulated enough that the temple was destroyed. So did you have a question? Or you're going to wait. What happened to the Ensof? Was there no Ensof? So the Ensof... Good question. So the Ainsof, this this Ainsof, which is like the the higher level, like the uh, why am I losing my word? The light, the, the energy, the infinite us light. Yeah, the infinite light of God. That was that was manifested physically in the temple. So oh. it wasn't it wasn't at that point a surrounding light. It was more. It actually was physically manifested now it's still it still couldn't because the temple is something physical right it's not and it's still limiting um so it's not unlimited but that ain't so energy i'm also gonna i'm gonna write i'm also gonna just double check to make sure that i'm accurate on this information but i'm pretty sure that the temple was a manifestation of god's infinite light down here in this world so it kind of i think after after the temple is when that light left and became the surrounding light instead of something that's manifested in the world but i'm gonna double check because i can't say i'm a thousand percent sure so i'm gonna ask where was ain Sof during the temple but from what I understand um, is that when the temple stood, when the divine presence resided amongst the Jewish people, every single Jew received his vitality solely from the force of holiness on an individual level. So what happened? There's like a chain. I don't have a working pen. That's very annoying. 
what happens is, is that my daughter, Hanalea, oh, let me just see over here. She, if I don't have my office locked, she comes in here and makes herself very comfortable. And then I'll have, like, I was looking for a scissors, doesn't exist. All these things that I normally have aren't around. And these pens are not so good, but I hear, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw it for you. So basically there's like a chain of events, right? The vitality. So we have Havaya, right? We have Yud, K, Vav, K, going down into the divine soul. Then it goes to the animal soul and then to the body. Okay, so during the time of the temple, we had Havaya, all the energy sources coming from Havaya, which went, remember we talked about through, it actually starts at the Yud, I'm backwards, it starts at the Yud, goes to the Vav, goes to the hey, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, right? It starts at the tip of the Yud, right? Travels through all the levels of the Havaya, proceeds to transfer into the divine soul which then goes into the animal soul which goes into the body that's how we were sustained in the times of the temple havaya godly soul then the godly soul energized the animal soul and then the animal soul energized the body okay so it's like a direct it's so all the energy source was coming from Havaya, which is God's innermost will, right? And so when we lost the temple, when the temple was destroyed, it was more than just like a physical destruction of a building, right? Um, as important, even though we know it was an important and sacred building, it wasn't just the the destruction of the building that was a problem, right? This, this, this Beit HaMikdash, it played a central role um, in this process that ended up being exile. Because not only were we physically exiled, our bodies were physically exiled. We had to leave Israel and we, had, we went to Babylon, wherever else we ended up. Our soul, our God's Shechina, God's presence, you ever heard of the word Shechina, right? So God's feminine presence, it's actually very significant that it's the feminine presence of God because it's like the mother, like we were separated from our mother, right? The Shechina got exiled as well. So it's like a, like, we don't always think about it this way, but it was like a two-part exile. It was a physical, a very, very physical exile, and then also a very spiritual exile at the same time. Because the Shekhinah now that was able to have a home and it was revealed and the source and it's, and it's the place that it's dwelling place that it rested and allowed for the whole world to revel in God's presence was destroyed physically. And then where did that spiritual presence go? Okay, that's what we're going to find out. That's what we're going to, how, so then now that we're not getting our sustenance from pure holiness anymore, now what happens, right? What happens, what's our day-to-day -day life look like right now? How is the world being sustained and how is our soul being sustained? Yes. You have a question? Yeah. 
Hi. Hi. Um, yes. So you Tell answered. me your name. Tell me your name. Vilma? Yes, I'm okay. Vilma. I, okay, I just wanted to make sure that sometimes, I don't know, like the name isn't matching the person. I just wanted to make sure like that's your name. <laughs> so... Um, the temple that was destroyed, is any remnant a part of the Western Wall? Like No. So it's no. very interesting. The Western okay. Wall is like the most, it's like the gate, it was like the wall, the gate that led you into another, right? It's like, I think there's like five, I don't know. There's a lot of entryways to get into the temple. The Western Wall for right now is the holiest place for us because that's the Temple Mount where the mosque is. Right. That's where the temple was. Yeah, but it seems to me the question that, that I pose is that yeah. if all this spiritual energy existed, that's the only remnant that survived. There's people who've had experiences and feel things and the air is rarefied in Israel to the point that it's more spiritually accumulated there. For sure. Like 100%. God's presence. But there's this lady and there's people who tell me their stories. Yeah. Who went there recently and yeah. uh, she did not like touching the wall because she saw so much pain that it scared her. Okay. So I'll tell you, first of all, I just got chills. And second of all, I'll tell you that these people who are energetically sensitive, it's amazing, right? So she, so people can be much more energetically in tune. Like I would like to say that like, I feel energies, but not on that level. Like, I don't see, I don't feel and see those things, but P I know people personally in my life who um, are very energetically sensitive and I a hundred percent believe and agree with that experience that she had. If you are energetically sensitive to a higher plane, uh, I can only imagine what somebody must feel like at, at the Western wall, right? Because how much history and pain and godliness is there if you are a little bit more sensitive and are energetically in tune I can imagine that being a, a very overwhelming and a very scary almost experience um I'm always fascinated by the I have a, a very off topic but I think it's just a cool story um a very close family friend that I grew up with and um she is one of those people that just like feel energies also feel like premonitions. Like she'll be like, like she'll know, like she'll feel like something's going to happen. And so my sister Devora got married a year ago. Okay. Ex almost exactly a year ago by my sister's like hospitality room and breakfast the next morning after the wedding, she comes over to me and she says, you know, Mazatov, whatever she said, by the way, like Bracha, your next sister is, is she's going to be married this year. And I was like, okay, great. But like, I did not, I'm like, first of all, she's not even ready. Second of all, like none of my siblings got married within one year of each other. Like I totally dismissed it. And to the point where like, I didn't even remember it happened. And then six months later, she got engaged. And I was like, oh my gosh. She told me, like, I didn't even, I'm like, it was so out of the blue, so out of left field. Like, and I was like, there's people like that. I'm like, oh, how did she know? She's like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Um, So just because I guess back to, to what we're saying, 
just because I'm saying that the that we now are the world and our souls receive energy not solely from holiness doesn't mean that certain places have a more potent energy to them right so I mean I would say the whole of Israel is on that level even more so at the western wall I, I would say even the someone who's not sensitive to energies at all will probably feel something somewhere in Israel, right? At the Western Wall, at um, a holy, at Marasa Machpela, right? Like really hard not to, to, to be into, like just to feel the, the holiness. You have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob buried in, in this location. I mean, like, even if you don't, let's say you don't feel it physically, if you think about it, it becomes overwhelming. If you think about like, the people that are here, like the energy that's here right now, it's it's unreal, right? So what we're saying is that the soul, of course the world has to be propelled by, by God and by holiness, but it's not the only, the only thing that's going on since the temple was destroyed. Does that make sense so far? So, yeah, so there's these experiences that I've had and I've never been to Israel, but I do talk to a lot of people and I'm like a sensitive person and mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what I would feel there, but I've met a lot of Jewish people and whenever the Shekhinah is spoken about, like, I think about the Shabbos, the, the mm -hmm. people at the shul, because anytime I've been with people that, that really are there to pray like I've felt that peace and other people have other people that are not Jewish um, can feel the peaceful presence of the Jewish people. So the Shekhinah does rest like on the Jewish people, like in particular sure. times. And there For are sure. some people that are on a different level. They're mystical in ways that have echoes of emotions that I can feel something that they've done. Like these are, well, then you are these are, in tune energetically in tune person which but it's so not just cool. me it's not just me because i've seen other people interact with the same people and their reactions like manifest the same thing that i for sure for felt. sure so i think whether also, they're aware of it that it comes from that person i don't exactly. know exactly i'm a aware a lot of times of it. it's coming from that person who's super super Holy, like, for example, the one I, I mean, I've experienced and I can give you is, is the Lubavitcher Rebbe, right? Like, there was nobody who was in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's presence who didn't feel something holy. Like, there's no such thing. Because it's not about you. It's about, it's about the Rebbe who was, like, exuding this energy that you couldn't deny, right? Like, I've never heard in my life and maybe there is, but I personally never heard someone say, I went to the dollars for, by the Rebbe, or I had a audience with the Rebbe and say that they didn't feel anything super spiritual and unique and special. I've never heard of that, right? Like it's just, even if you pass by dollars and you, you lock eyes for, for three seconds, like those three seconds, I mean, I, I remember as a child, I was a little kid. I can still tell you what it what it felt like, you know? So I think there are very, 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 very special people who are extremely, what is, where does this come from? Where does that energy come from? It comes from a very intense connection with God. 
right? So somebody who is a tzaddik or somebody who's close to a tzaddik who experiences this intimate relationship with God, it's going to come out of their pores, right? Because that's who they are. And that that absolutely can exist today, right? That 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 can exist today, a hundred percent. So I think I think you're all tzaddiks, especially if you're getting closer to God. You can have those moments. You can have a tzaddik moment. We are not all tzaddikim. If you've been to Tanya class from the beginning, <laughs> we know we do not yeah. have an expectation yeah. from ourselves. No, um, but we, that moment, like I, can you can like, have a hundred yeah. percent. You can have a tzaddik moment. Um, I actually call them like more like Bainani moments, but we can call them tzaddik moments too. Um, but we we also have to remember like realistically, like what's in our power, because if we start to expect from ourselves something that is not realistic, that sends us down a path that we don't want to want to go down. But we, we've covered that in the first book of Tanya, but we can definitely have tzaddik moments Every time we're doing a mitzvah, we are a hundred percent in connection with Hashem in that moment. The difference of a tzaddik is that that moment never goes away. But for someone who's having a tzaddik moment, it's it's a moment. It's not forever. It's not everlasting. Um, but thank you so much for that. Yes, Carrie. Are we going to be discovering uh, the backside of God? Oh, you betcha. Um, no, I mean, like, now, are you on to yeah, that? We're, go- we're headed there. We're heading on that to that on that train. I um, had that feeling. You had the feeling, right? Because if we're not getting our energy solely from holiness, what's happening? What happened to that energy that used to be manifest in this world that used to be the thing that solely sustained us? How, what did that transform to? So, because um, if you did carries back then at the in the Beit Hamikdash times, you die right away. Exactly, exactly. So, if you did, if you transgressed a sin that deserved carries in the time of the temple, you were dead because there was no backup system, right? You only got your energy from God. Once you severed that connection, it was severed, right? You didn't but, have a chance. You didn't have another have chance. chance to I mean, like, yeah. I mean, kind of like if you were gonna go down that path, even though you're, you're, all your energy was coming from godliness and you still found a way to transgress a sin that deserves such a punishment, then it was just done. Like there's there was, no, there was, there was no fifty or sixty years old. It was right then no, and there. Right, exactly. It was just immediate. It was immediate. Now, um, and I think okay, I should, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, it's no, it's nothing bad. But like I'm thinking that part of that the atonement for that person was in that in the death right so he still had to atone for that sin but i think because he died immediately that was part of the atonement process that allows him to eventually make it up to heaven do you get what i'm saying okay whatever so so by by dying by dying by the act of the actual dying 
He was getting cleansed already. It's part of the cleansing. I don't, I don't know if it was completely done, but I think it's made it part of that cleansing process. It would make sense. right? Right. So, um, okay. So this divine presence didn't just live in unique individuals, right? It was with like nowadays, like we talked about, there could be a tzaddik who has this divine presence. That's for a unique individual. That's how we, that's how we know um, how that works, right? Like, oh yeah, there's certain people who have that divine presence. That's how it's nowadays. But in the time of the temple, it was everybody. Everybody had that divine presence. Um, and it was kind of, sourced from the divine presence in the temple. The, the, the fact that the, the divine presence was in the temple allowed, it was almost like what was the catalyst for everyone to also have a divine presence. When the temple was destroyed, that shina, that presence was sent into exile and so forth affected the energy source of all individuals from there on. How did the Ein Sof manifest itself? So the Ein Sof, I uh, manifested itself in the Shechina that was in the temple. But Ein Sof, I have to tell you, it's very, very complicated because Ein Sof, by definition, is limitless. But even when we say the word Ein Sof, we're limiting. Like, it's very, very hard to talk about Ein Sof because as soon as you start talking about it, you're, you're limiting it. Do you get what I'm saying? So, by the way, if you stick with me long enough, and if I'm brave enough, maybe we'll do Shariachad um, Amuna, which is another book in the Tanya, which talks about the oneness of God in like 10 chapters. What's it called? Shariachad um, Amuna, the gates of trust. It's called the gates of trust. Um, there we talk more about Ein Sof and all, you know, the oneness of God. I am petrified of that book. So I'm not sure <laughs> if we're going to do it. Um, I, I would have to get a lot of motivation um, because I actually, we learned it in seminary and I loved learning it so much, but it's so esoteric. It's so lofty. It's so not tangible at in some ways that it's scary to teach like I don't know if I'm capable but in there um like talking about Ainsof itself has always been very difficult because how do you talk about something that you really can't talk about right but what I am going to find out specifically is where was the Ainsof in times of the temple Question meaning is was there such a thing as a makif energy in the times of the temple, right? Or was it just God was comfortable enough to be here and there was no like hovering, right? Because now we have that hovering energy, which I think is, in my understanding, I think is where that energy that used to be down here was exiled too, to now not being allowed into the world. But was there another level of surrounding energy that existed in the times of the base of Mikdash? That I don't know. It's a very, 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 very good question. 
Okay, so we're gonna, I'm gonna find out. But it doesn't, like, we can still, un, like, doesn't, like this, whatever we're saying still makes sense. What we're saying is that there was the divine presence that lived in the temple, that lived and, and it's concentrated in the Holy of Holies, right? Because there was a source for that energy in the world that allowed for us humans to be sourced with that energy. And so when transgression occurred, especially transgression that required kares, it severed the person's connection permanently because there, the, the soul energy was sourced, was godly. And so there was nothing really left over to keep that soul going like there is nowadays. Are you talking about the animal soul? Yeah. All, yes. Animals. Because remember with my little chart, the animal soul was getting its energy from the godly soul. Right. In times of the temple, it was a direct, this was the cord, right? This was the cord. It was, went from Havaya. The energy went through the godly soul to the animal soul, then through the animal soul to the body. And that is the energy of Havaya. So even the animal soul was being vitalized. Is that a word? Right? Why not? Um, through the godly soul, which was being energized through through Havaya. Yes? Yeah, I'm getting confused. <laughs> um, it's okay, right? This is, remember what we talked about. This is our the first layer. Don't worry. The altar is going to repeat it. We're going to, this is what we're going to continue going. It's going to unravel. We're going to have layers and layers. This is the first time you're hearing this, okay? It's not like, it's not supposed to land and make complete sense. But like, we're now getting introduced to new ideas. Okay, so sit with it. Sit with it for a little bit, right? We'll think about it. We'll come back to it. And then slowly but surely, like, like, I, like for me, I thought like last chapter five was never going to make sense, right? But at the end of it, we actually got a really good, idea of what we were talking about like we really grasped it but okay but it took time right layer after layer so when now, now you're just talking this whole time you're talking pretty much about the the times of the bit yes we didn't get to nowadays yet okay we did not we do not know what like okay now that okay so the the shrina was exiled okay now what we did not talk about where that energy transferred to Okay, so we don't know that yet. Now, um, okay, this is interesting. We're actually, actually, we are talking. We're going to talk about Inso for a minute. Um, so, remember, the name of Havaya is the pathway through which the divine sustenance and life force is drawn from Ain Sof to the reality, to reality, okay? So Havaya is the bridge. I'm gonna make another paper. And this is why my board is supposed to work. 
Do you know that I made a white, these are like a whiteboard and I can draw on it. But when I tried it in my Sunday Tanya class, it's too far. You can't really see. What the green? I, uh... The green thing is like a, like I, it's a marker board. Like I can Ooh, write on. That's cool. Right. But like, it, no, I'm going to try it again, but like it's officially, it didn't really work. You couldn't see. Okay. Now. This is going to be good. Well, if you pull your chair back, then you can write. And so Havaya is what bridges Ainsof and reality. Okay, so Ainsof is this infinite, you know, power of God, right? Havaya processes that Ainsof and makes it tangible enough that it can come down into reality. But I thought Havaya was on top. Havaya is on top of us. Havaya is on top of reality, but Ainsof's on top of Havaya. Right? Remember, it's the hovering. It doesn't, right? Remember, Ainsof doesn't penetrate, right? So Havaya is what processes the Ainsof and makes it reality. Okay? But isn't Havaya Hashem? Yes, Havaya is the innermost will of Hashem. But remember, there's levels. God is infinite. Like there is levels upon levels upon levels of God. Right? So even below Havaya, there's Elohim. Elohim is also God, but Elohim is a lower level of God than Havaya. Right? So Ainsof is that name of God where we're like, we don't know what else to say. So we call it no, to no, Ainsof literally means no end. So is, this another, is it another name for God? No, it's not. You don't use, yeah, I mean, yes and no. You don't really use it as a name of God. You use it when you want to talk about God in his limitless, infinite form. The highest, the highest form. The highest form that we can talk about. <laughs> I don't know. It's so confusing. But like when we want to talk, when we want to say that God is unlimited without end, we say Ainsof. Okay. Okay. From, but from that, from, but then how does Ainsof, these a bridge to come into reality. So Havaya is the bridge that takes Ainsof, takes this like limitless, formless thing of God and draws it down and brings it to reality, right? Because we know it from our little, our other chart, right? Havaya goes to our soul, to our animal soul, to our body, but it's, drawing from the infinite levels of God. It's just making it, it's like the portal in which God comes through is Havaya. You're with me? Yeah. Okay. Remember, don't, don't get over, don't get freaked out. Like we are doing really good stuff. Um, now, um, so this divine emanation right flows from the divine will right it gets embodied by the tip of the yud remember it comes to the tip of the yud descends through the yud then the hay then the vav then the final hay all the way down to physical actual physical life okay we said this before we're just being really more clear about it now when a person 
when a person would blemish his connection to the divine, it would immediately and directly blemish his own spiritual and physical well-being, i.e. he would not be able to continue living. Because that connection, he, that connection from Havaya to reality, severed. Back then. Back then. We're still back then. Okay? Um, so I'm going to wrap up in a minute because I want to give us time to do a, to, to uh, do a conversation. Alrighty. Oi, oi. <laughs> Oh. oh, it's okay. Don't it. worry. Don't fret. I don't um, have any of you. <laughs> if I ever feel bad about myself, I will remember that. Love me. Harry love me. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> okay. Now, this, this is very, very fascinating. The sins of the Jewish people were not just sins committed by an individual. It were all a nation, right? So they were also attributed to the Jewish nation as a whole. So therefore, when the collective sins of the Jewish people became too much, that's what caused the exile of the divine presence. Now, this is something that we talk about a lot even nowadays, right? Like, we do not operate as a separate entity. Like, nobody part of the Jewish faith gets to be like, well, it only affects me. Who cares what I do, right? No, we are one body. And I mean, we can't, like, you can't even argue that. Now, like, we literally feel like one body, one soul, right? But that plays out in so many different ways, right? So when when we we still pay for the sins of our fathers, right? The Torah says that. Like you will pay for the sins of our fathers. We we're certain things that that we live with because of the first original sin of Adam and Chava, right? Like there's certain things that we still are trying to rectify in this world. So when we this is what I was saying in the beginning, when we sin it's not just your sin. You're not just, you know, you can't just take responsibility for yourself. You are adding to the collective pile of the Jewish people and vice versa. If you do something good, right? If you do a mitzvah, not only are you elevating your own soul, but you are elevating the whole Jewish body as a collective. So this is, if, if we were to walk away with anything from today's lesson, forget about the esoteric stuff for a minute, right? It's important, but like practically, if we were to walk away with something which is so pertinent to the times that we're living in is nothing happens in a vacuum. I, by the way, I tell this to my kids all the time. I'm like, when you're in a bad mood, like you think I have my teenagers tell me like, it's a matter of, I'm in a bad mood. It's my get to the sun. I'm in a bad mood and then in my bad mood. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah, you get to be in a bad mood, but don't think that you're in a bad mood and it's only affecting you in a vacuum. Like, first of all, if you're out and about in the house, then that ener energy, it disperses. Like you don't contain energy, right? Like 
energy affects everybody around you. So, so we need to start thinking about the Jewish people as a, not, I won't even say as a, as a family, I would say as one body. We're one big micro, macrocosm with a lot of different parts, but we make up one body. I, it's like one family is not even the right description. We're one body. We're one unit. The Jewish people are a unit. So when somebody in the Jewish family is feeling pain, we feel the pain, right? We've, we're experiencing that right now. Like we don't even physically know these people. So how are we feeling so much pain? Because we're one body. We actually are one. And it's so, so true. It is so true. Right? It's so powerful. So we need to think about like, like, not, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but like, if we think that our actions are our actions alone, it's a selfish way of thinking. It's, it's not that it's not reality. You can convince yourself, you can decide that what, you know, my, my, or, you know, how like the, the kids these days, my choice, my, this, my, you know, everything's my choice. And I have to feel comfortable and my, my, this, my, that, my, that. Okay, and your choices, if you belong to the Jewish faith, are absolutely 100% affecting the whole body of the Jewish people for the good, right? Has so, if you look at it from the good side, it has so much power, so much power for the good, but also for the negative. So when we find ourselves in collective situations, it's because we got there collectively, right? And the people who are suffering, it's not necessarily their sins that they're suffering for. It's the collective Jewish people need a wake-up call, right? We need to remember that God is what gives us our life, right? And we need to realign and we need to reevaluate how we want to live. And you could see it in real time. Like what has been happening when our collective body has been put through so much pain? We've become stronger. We have become reconnected with our source. We have been obsessed with adding light into the world. Like where does that come from? What other nation would ever think of responding to such pain in such a way? Doesn't exist, right? Because because we are unique and Hashem gave us a special power that comes with a lot of privilege and comes with so much responsibility, so much responsibility. And when, when we forget about the responsibility that it comes with, we, ha we, we have to remind ourselves and we have to remember that we need to realign with what matters, right? So- Isn't this why- isn't this why God is waiting for every single one of us to do all the good deeds and to become one for him to bring Mashiach? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Mashiach is, is such a complicated thing to talk about because we don't, like, I have a hard time, like, really understanding and grasping what that actually is going to look like. But we were taught from a young age, right? Like every mitzvah that you do brings us one step closer, closer to Mashiach. Literally, it's not a hoax. 
But the thing is, and, and also we say, like, you never know which of the mitzvah is going to tip the scale and finally bring Mashiach. It could be your mitzvah. You don't know, right? Um, but my my thoughts are is that I don't know if Mashiach has to wait for every single Jew to recognize God and to be living a godly life. I don't think that that's practical. I don't think that's what it means. But I think as a collective, right? Like, you know, sometimes we have a body and not all the body parts are at a hundred percent, right? But if the majority and if and if the if the if the godliness and the connection is outweighing right. the other parts, then we bring Mashiach. And the people who haven't recognized God yet get, get to come along for the ride because they're part of the body. And then when Mashiach comes, they will recognize and see for themselves. Does that make sense? Beautifully said. But I'm <laughs> not an ex like I'm not an expert on Mashiach. Like all I know is, to, is that we believe in him and we believe that it's coming and we work every day with our and all and what I know for sure is that our actions and our what we choose to do brings brings that Mashiach energy right that's what I know isn't Mashiach more of a era Mashiach Mashiach is a person and an era there's and a Mashiach is a person who will usher in the Mashiach the messianic era, era. which will be even te- the like the third base on there's like the this this temple on steroids like Right? Like even more than the first and second temple will Hashem be revealed. Amen. 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 Okay. Any questions before our meditation? It's 829. So I have a question. Because yes. Havaya is a term that I like have heard. It is the Tetragrammaton. It is God's divine name. And it is in the um, prayer book because yeah. there's a nighttime prayer that talks about, you know, forgiveness and atonement and really like teshuva type stuff about mm-hmm. rectifying the, the name yud hey vav hey yeah. and yeah. adnai. When we do tshuva, that's exactly what we're doing is we're rectifying so, that part of the name that got messed up. That is because of the sins that it was that that connection was severed. So I understand that, but there's also something deeper to it because I was listening to a Hasidus talk about how deep that is a part of the Jewish soul. The name of God is actually a part of the Jewish soul so that it's felt like deeply. That's why it's like that connection that, that the Jewish people in their soul have to God, like the name of God is woven into your soul somehow. Like it's very hard to explain. Yeah, that's what, yeah exactly. That's what we've been saying this whole class, right? It's like the, the name of Havaya is which is with what our godly soul is energized by, right? It's the, yeah, God, but... it's the innermost will of God that manifests into our soul. So it is literally powering our soul. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it very, sounds very, very so powerful. deep. It's so, so deep. deep. So deep and so layered. And we only can really kind of understand, you know, some of the layers of it, but we will never fully, fully understand what that means, right? Because we can never fully understand God in all his ways. But like I said, when we study Tanya and we learn, we 
we do get secrets of of the world, right? And we do get a glimpse into the way God operates. Right? Is this and part of Kabbalah? Yes, absolutely. Tanya yeah, is like part of Kabbalah. Hasidus goes into it like from a different perspective and it talks about the will of God being the Ratzon and how that is the deepest part of the soul that the Jewish soul and whatever, you know, you desire like mm -hmm. is part of your soul, but it should be in alignment with God's desire. Like your will should be his will, like that oneness. Right. So, so that's a tzaddik. A tzaddik is. Yeah. His will, your, that person's will is completely aligned with God's will. Mm -hmm. Our journey is, is we have opposing wills. God created us with two opposing souls in our body that oppose each other. And our job is to hopefully through impulse control, control and, and at the end, choose God's will, Right. But that conflict of wills are still inside of us, but we have the power to choose God's will. And the more yeah. we do that, the more connected we are. Yes. Kari. Uh No, I wasn't. Uh... Oh, okay. I, th I thought you were raising your hand. Okay. Let's, let's do a, a meditation really quick because I don't want to keep you too long. And then um, we will, if you have any more questions, we can go from there. Okay. Take a deep breath. Wiggle around. Get comfortable. Good. Um, your inhale, you can inhale with your eyes still open. And with your first exhale, you're going to gently close your eyes and you're going to relax your whole body. And I'm going to just remind you as we inhale and exhale, some thoughts to keep in mind during the breath work to hopefully enhance your experience. Okay, so inhale, open up your heart center for all the good and all the godly to let in. Exhale, release any tensions or negativity or fears. Exhale it out of your body and physically relax your shoulders. Inhale. Remember when we learned our breath is God's breath. It's one of my favorite things. So when we breathe, Hashem is breathing with us. And exhale. Relax. Let it go. Inhale. Hashem has a special mission for you. That's why you're here. And exhale. Any pain, physical pain, emotional pain that doesn't serve you, you don't have to hang on to it. You can let it go. Last inhale. If you don't open yourself up, you're not there to receive. Got to remember that. Got to open yourself up to receive and exhale any stubborn little emotions that are just wanting to hang around you can let them go
let your breath return to its natural rhythm. Just let, let it go. As we think about some thoughts that we want to take home with us. Okay, so first of all, in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, the times of the temple, the world and us humans, Jewish humans, were powered solely by the divine. When the temple was destroyed, not only was it a physical destruction, but it was also a spiritual exile. God's presence left the world and therefore is not the sole power of our beings. The Jewish people are a collective body. Okay, so everything that we do um, is not ha does not happen in a vacuum. We are energetically intertwined and connected. I just want you to think about the power of that, the beauty of that. And also the fact that like no Jew can ever be really alone. We have a built-in connection, support, love. And just think about when you go about your day that everything you're doing is not only affecting you and your soul and your immediate surroundings, but the Jewish people as a whole. Bring your attention back to your breath. We'll do one more nice big inhale. One final exhale. Let your whole body like sink into its seat. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Okay, I'm gonna stop the recording just because it's already going a little longer.